1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am so excited to bring to you Troy Aikman. He is a former American football quarterback, best known for his 12 season run with the Dallas Cowboys. While there, he won three Super Bowl titles and has been inducted into the Pro Football and College Football Halls fame. Uh, He's a staple in the broadcast booth, good human, and is going to talk to us about a whole host of things, including. His next endeavor, a new thing that he's just announced called Elite Eight Logger, we're going to talk about in a little bit. But uh, without further ado, please welcome Troy Aikman to the Rise Together podcast. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Good to be on.
1: Of course. So I've just given the very, very tops of the trees, cliff note version of who you are. But if uh, you were introducing yourself to uh, someone at a cocktail party, Uh how do you you, uh, describe who it is to be or how it is to be Troy Aikman?
2: Uh, Well, I'd first say that I'm a father. Uh, That's what's most important to me is raising my two girls. And uh, obviously most people know me because of my career with the the Cowboys. And although I'm very proud of, of those 12 years spent, Uh, In my athletic career, it seems so far removed now, Uh, you know, almost 25 years now since I last played, which is pretty hard to believe. But, uh, you know, I've always said that I hope that when my time is coming to a close, that there's a lot more to talk about besides what I was able to do athletically or even broadcasting for that matter. And so uh, I work on a lot of different things. Like you mentioned, I'm I'm involved with uh, this new beer venture, which I'm really excited about. But most important to me is my relationships with family and friends and uh, and being a good father and hopefully a good role model for my two girls.
1: Ah, love that. I, I I can't help but wonder, 25 years also seems impossible that it could have been that long amount of time since you were on a field with a ball in hand, but uh, identity is a thing that we talked about a lot on this show. I've myself gone through plenty of big changes in life. I'm curious, in a world where we can at times get stuck almost thinking that we are a certain person or that we, uh, you know, will only ever be known as a certain thing. Can you just explain a little of how, what that transition was like for you, where for the majority of your life, you'd had a ball in your hand, you're on the field. And then one day your career ends, and now you've got to figure out who you are now that you're no longer who you've been.
2: It's a good point. And I think that a lot of athletes really struggle with that, with that transition. Uh, I, I will say that I was, I was ready when I got out of the game of football, it was really more my decision to retire when I did. I had opportunities to go on and play elsewhere, but I just felt like it was time. But I'll also admit that I really didn't know what I was going to do when I retired. I just trusted that something would present itself and provide an opportunity for me and I'd get excited about it. And I broadcasted some games. I will say this, that I was still playing it was 1998, and I ended up going over to Europe to broadcast some games for Fox and never dreamt that that I would have an interest at any time in my life of broadcasting. But I went over because a friend of mine wanted to go, and he was going to be my play-by-play, Brad Sham, who's the voice of the Dallas Cowboys, and, and really enjoyed it. Just had an amazing time, and Fox liked what they heard. And at that time, they said, hey, whenever you decide to retire from football, if you want to broadcast, we got a job for you. And so it was the first time that I gave any consideration to maybe going down that path. And then two years later, I was retiring and Fox did offer me a job. And so I thought, well, you know, I'll do it for a year or two and see what I want to do in the meantime. And this will keep me, keep me busy. And and then now I'm in my, my 21st year. So I was really fortunate that I was able to get into something uh, and not right away. It took some time, but eventually I was very content with this job and, and have really enjoyed it. It's provided me a good living. And most import, importantly, because of my personal circumstances, it provided me the time to be home during the week with my girls. Uh, I was a single dad raising them. And, uh, and so it's been, it's been amazing. And so for me, that transition, which is unusual, uh, was somewhat seamless. And then along with that, I've still been able to dive into different things. I've had the, the, the time to kind of explore some other things that might be of interest. I was in the car business for a while and I enjoyed that. I've been in a lot of different investments, but, uh, yeah, so I was, I was lucky quite honestly. Uh, and it seems to be a theme throughout my life that I've been very fortunate, but I know a lot of teammates, uh, haven't made that transition as well, nor have they been as, as healthy as I've been in retirement. Uh, you know, I mean, I feel good. I don't have any aches or pains or artificial limbs or anything like that. Um, so that's been really nice as well.
1: Yeah. What's interesting in just the, the revelation of, hey, come on to Europe. We're going to do this broadcast. It was you exploring something that you had not yet in the realm of curiosity and seeing right. how that curiosity may lead to something else. I'm going to imagine that when you were in your playing career time, that focus was primarily on football. In the aftermath, you now have this opportunity to put your toe in a bunch of different pools and see what of the things that you never maybe were given the opportunity to test curiosity-wise. Now you got to play in them a little bit. And it sounds like that's where a lot of the fruit that has you know become who you are after football has matured.
2: Yeah, no question. Uh I think it's a good point you raised that that as a player it's 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 all-time consuming and there's not much time for anything else. Uh and so yeah, in in my post athletic career along with the broadcasting, uh there's an off season for players as well but not quite like broadcasters I and mean, we have 5 months off. So I'm able to fully uh, dive into things that are of interest to me. And and those are working out. Uh, I've always been interested in photography. I've gotten the chance to to go on a few different trips. I've been on a couple of safaris, ph- photography safaris in Africa, and I've really enjoyed that. I've been to some classes, taken some online courses as well. And uh, so that's been good, kind of scratching that itch, still got a long way to go. But but I've always enjoyed photography. another thing that I'd like to pursue, I've talked about it long enough is I'd love to go to culinary school sometime uh, and, and learn to cook. I can grill like most men. I can put a steak on a, on a barbecue pit, but that's, uh, that's about where it ends. So I'd like to, I'd like to learn a little bit, a little bit more there, but hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll pursue that at some time as well.
1: I had this interesting experience over the last couple of years. i had a long career at Fox and at Disney myself. And uh, after leaving corporate, I was invited to be an a, a expert witness in a court case. And I had this recognition that that expertise or being able to have the moniker expert witness was a thing that came after 20 years of time yeah. got me there. And I'm very new in working in the space that I am now as an author or podcaster. And, you know, it's just it's a different world. And I'm pretty hard on myself at times. And I have to remember, oh, you know, I've only put in a couple of years. Mastery is a thing that develops over decades. And so whether it's photography or culinary school or whatever it is, the fact that you've become someone who has mastery in something shows you, gives you proof that you can develop mastery in something else as long as you can be patient enough to allow it to mature.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they talk about the the ten thousand hours uh, in order to become, you know, an expert or great at something, Uh, and I I tend to believe that. I've certainly experienced that in broadcasting. You know, somebody once told me in broadcasting, you're you get better with with each year. Your your improvements are made each year, not week to week. Where as an athlete, it's it can be week to week or certainly month to month. To whereas if I'm struggling with something, I can go put the time in and get better at it to where it's noticeable. The next time I go and have to perform in a game, and with broadcasting, you don't get those reps during the week. Your only reps are are live reps uh, each week, and so the improvement isn't as recognizable as what it is when you go from year to year. And you know, now in my 21st year, I think back to my early days in 2001. Uh, when it began, and I just am so grateful that there's there was no social media at the time. You know, I mean, I know there was a lot of people going, "Man, this guy's terrible," but they they didn't have a platform to express it, so I never saw it, and uh, that was that was probably good. But I'll tell you, Dave, I've also learned to follow your point that you know I do a lot of meditating. I began eight years ago, and and it's a practice that has changed my life quite honestly, and and uh, and I've learned that. Cause I'm somewhat of a perfectionist as well. And I'm pretty tough on myself and expect myself to excel in, in th- most everything that I attempt. And it's unrealistic. And I think through meditation, it's given me a little bit more grace and, uh, and, and not be so hard and critical of myself and that inner voice isn't as prominent as it once was. And that's really been helpful.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned meditation, self-care and just fitness generally is obviously a big part of who you are and how you are. Uh, Can you just walk a little bit through kind of what your approach has been to your, whether it's daily routine or your practices generally, I've tended to focus on a holistic, it's not just physical, but emotional, relational, spiritual, you know, thinking about all of the different parts of fitness, but what is it for you? How, how have you approached it and how do you stay with it uh, to make sure that you're showing up as your best?
2: Yeah, I've, uh, I've always been an athlete. I've always worked out. Uh, it's just been a part of my life as much as brushing my teeth each morning and evening. And, and so, uh, that part of it has been very easy and I've always viewed, I had always viewed health as more of the the physical side of things and lifting weights and then doing the cardio and, and that's where it pretty much ended. And, and as I've gotten older and even more so here in the last five years and probably specifically since COVID began, is when I t- seem to take a little bit of a deeper dive. But uh, I began meditating about eight years ago. Uh, I, I went through a period where I was where I was not uh, sticking to the practice as regularly as what I would have liked and then rededicated myself about three years ago. But I've learned through meditation, the wellness side mentally, and then spiritually to go along with the physical part of it. And I also then took a real interest I've always eaten pretty well. Uh, I never, at least since I was about 29 years old, I got I got relatively disciplined with my diet. But in the last uh, couple of years, probably three years, I've gotten even more strict. And strict, I don't like to use the word, but I just become really aware of what I'm consuming, when I'm consuming it, uh, staying hydrated. Sleep has become extremely important in my life. To where I will, I refuse to set an alarm unless I just absolutely have to, and I'm I go to bed fairly early. I'm in bed usually. I'm not asleep, but I'm in bed usually by about eight thirty, and uh, I always give myself the proper amount of time to get eight hours of sleep. But I just sleep until I'm ready to get up. Yeah. And, uh, unless I just have to do it. But so there's a lot of things that I've realized are really really important. So with that, when people say if you don't feel good, it's hard to be good. It's hard to do good. I never really quite understood that, but I do now. And I totally buy into that. So I've never felt better. And because I feel better, it's it's affected everything I do during the course of a day. I just have a much brighter outlook on everything. I feel, I feel great, feel uh, positive, optimistic, all of those things. And so the whole health and wellness concept has, has gone full circle for me to where I still am lifting. I'm still doing the physical part of things, but I pay just as much attention to, to what I'm doing to my body uh, with things that I'm eating. And then also making sure uh, the mental part of it is being approached in the right way. Also.
1: It, I'm, I'm sure that there are observations you have uh, 20 plus years now in broadcasting of how, Things have changed in good ways and maybe not in great ways with the league or with uh, the way that men in sport, masculinity generally shows up. Is there is there anything that you see that you say, man, I didn't have the benefit of that when I was playing, but it looks like there's maybe a little bit of a softening around expressing your emotion or, or being okay with self-care or thinking about health in a more holistic way, or is there still work to go?
2: Uh, there's probably still more work to go, uh, like there is across society, but I do think, I I think that athletics and maybe specifically football, because football is regarded, you know, your, your manhood's called into question, uh, as far as it's a brutal sport, it's a tough, physical, violent game. And, uh, in order to survive in the football world, I I think you, you have to be tough. It's celebrated, Uh, celebrated by your teammates. It's celebrated by coaches. But I do think that as in our society, we've become more and more aware of mental health. I I think that that has uh, opened up doors in, in the football world too, where, where players can openly talk about, some of the things that they're dealing with, which is great. I mean, that 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 people that are suffering from from mental health issues, whatever it might be, uh, anxiety or otherwise, that they're able to express that and not be laughed at. Yeah, uh, I don't know that there was a time. So I think so. I think football, even though they're a little slower to come around, I I do think it parallels what what we've seen in in the country, and uh, and that's been really good.
1: Two things stand out when I think about your career, both playing career and broadcasting career. you've been a one person one company uh, show as it were, a, a little bit of a an anomaly, I would say to some of the free agency that exists in you know the football space, but ultimately the way that people tend to jump from job to job, company to company. Loyalty is obviously an important trait, but also you know it's not necessarily something that people from my perspective have seemed to, honor or put as large a value on in every aspect and i'm wondering if you have a perspective on it given that you played with one team broadcast with one network or if it's um i I don't i'm I'm just i'm curious about loyalty
2: yeah yeah no i think uh, uh you know i'd like to think that loyalty is my greatest strength but you know i i have i have friendships uh that my best friend has been my best friend since the first day we met when I was 12 years old, when I moved to Oklahoma and, and and we're still thick as thieves. And most of my close friends are people who have been in my life a long time. And I, I, I still do meet new people. I enjoy that. And some of those go on to become good friends as well. But no, I think loyalty is extremely important. I think as it relates to my professional life uh, I was fortunate that it just worked out that way, that, that the Cowboys, they weren't ready to get rid of me before I was ready to stop playing. And and fortunately for me at Fox, it is unusual to be the number one analyst for 20 years. And so uh, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon, or at least that I'm aware of. So I plan on being uh, the analyst for a, a little while longer. But I also know that sometimes flavors change and, and if they were to go a different direction, then I might be working for another employer, but I've been blessed. I really enjoy the people I work with and work for. And I think that's been probably one of the, the, the takeaways for me in my life is I've, I've had some great coaches and I've had some great employers and I've tended to have great respect for those people uh, who, who I've played for and who I've worked for. And that's uh, that's important to me. It's important to me to feel good about the people who write my checks and feel good about the people that I work with and uh, and the companies that I work for. And so uh, that's that's that seems to be a reoccurring theme that's made things easier for me as well to be able to stay in one place.
1: Yeah, no, you work at a good spot. One of my first jobs, I was working at Fox in the publicity department uh, under George Greenberg and a handful of others. And uh, there's a good people. I wrote a story in my last yeah. book of... Uh, Finding a way to make it to a Super Bowl that uh, Fox was broadcasting through uh, extraordinary means, but uh, you got good good folks. You got good (laughs) folks. So fitness and health, we kind of touch on it. I think it's interesting or not that it um, plays into some of your next exciting endeavors and that you're trying to find some um, healthier ways to also enjoy the things that you might enjoy in, uh, in drinking a beer. Tell me a little bit about this uh, next endeavor that's just been announced, uh, where you are working on on alcohol and some beer.
2: Yeah, uh, I've always liked beer. I'm a I'm a beer drinker, and I've always been a light beer drinker because I've always been concerned about the calories, and and I just like the taste of light beer better anyway. But I never imagined, Dave, that I'd be making my own beer, but. Uh, through a mutual friend, I came in contact with my now partners, and one of whom uh, has had a career in the beer business. And we got to talking about whether or not it was something that I'd be interested in, in diving into. And as we talked it out, I thought, well, I'd be interested if we can make a beer that at least in my mind is better than what's available, and we could do it a little bit differently. And so that's what kind of started our our course. And we were able to do that. It's been two years in the process. Uh, and I feel like we came up with something <clears throat> that is pretty unique to that space in that uh, we are a low calorie, low carb beer. It's 90 calories, 2.6 carbs, uh, which is as low as anything that's on the market. But where we differentiate ourselves from, from everyone else is that we have no adjuncts and no fillers there's no corn uh there's no rice there's no syrup there's no added sugars it is a all malt organic grain beer that tastes terrific and so i'm really excited about it i'm i, I just laid out kind of my health and wellness and how important that is to me and people some would say well that's a contradiction then that, that now you're pushing a beer and even though yeah maybe a better brand of beer, a better for you beer, but it's still not what you would call healthy. Uh, whereas what I say to that is I do feel that that there needs to be balance in life. And I do feel that there are moments throughout the course of uh, whether it's a week, a month, a year, whatever, where there are special moments that, that should be celebrated. And for me, when I celebrate those moments or I celebrate those friendships, it, it's typically... With a beer in hand, and so I wanted one that complemented my life and didn't take away from all the hard work that I put in during the week. Uh, and I think this does that better than any beer that's available right now on the market.
1: Right on. I love that there's a differentiating factor. Obviously, you're going into an established industry. In any team I've ever led, I've talked about the difference between an insurgent and an incumbent mentality. And there's some insurgency yeah. in the approach here of trying to walk into an incumbent space and say. Uh, We might have uh, a way to make some room here, even though it's a crowded space. That says, um, "This is why. This is why us." And I I, I dig that.
2: Yeah. Well, I will say that 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 there's over eight thousand breweries in America, and and probably the most competitive segment of the beer business is the one that we dove into the the light beer space. So. Uh, we're not naive and I'm not naive. We know we're taking on the big boys and some who have been on the market for a long time, two, three, four decades. So uh, we go in eyes wide open, but I always look back and say, you know, if if I was concerned about uh, failure or not being successful, I I never would have been the quarterback of the Cowboys. So uh, I think we have something that, that will appeal the people like me that uh, that 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 consider themselves athletes are concerned about what they consume, and are mindful of that. Uh, and I think this fits a need.
1: No, that's great. Uh, there's uh, a chorus of people who tend to tell me their worry of pursuing their dreams is that it's just too late in life. That like they could have if they'd have started earlier, or they wish that they weren't so far behind others. The comparison game certainly social media isn't helping anyone feel any better with the curated everything's great highlight reel that people yeah. tend to be yeah. shown. Um, but you're obviously, right, uh, second half of adult life, finding yourself, yeah. working into some new spaces, trying some new things. What would you tell the person who's working off of uh, a limiting belief that maybe uh, it's too late or they're they're past their prime if they're still feeling that kind of pull that tug from intuition, begging them to sit up and take
2: notice? Yeah, I, uh, I I I experienced that. I, I've lived that, uh, and I've learned from it. Uh, when I retired from the Cowboys, I was thirty-four years old, and I had always wanted to go to business school. One of my regrets when I transferred from the University of Oklahoma to go to UCLA was that UCLA didn't have a business school. I didn't know that at the time. I'm not sure it would have changed my decision to go there, but I just assumed every college had a business school. So when I was transferring right before I enrolled in school, they said, "What do you want to major?" And I said, "I want to major in." in management information systems, which is what I was majoring in at Oklahoma. And they said, oh, well, we don't have a business school. And so I didn't end up majoring in business. Uh, I was in my third year of college. I had to major in sociology. So even though my life is, has been blessed uh, academically, I spent five years in college and majored in something that, that I really uh, don't find much value in. And, I, and it wasn't what I wanted to major in. So when I was retiring from the Cowboys, I, I really wanted to go to business school. But I'd already been involved in a number of businesses. I'd had a lot of business mentors. I I I owned some car dealerships at the time, and and there was a gentleman who uh, was and is a mentor of mine. And when I mentioned, hey, I think I'm going to go to business. I think I'm going to go to grad school, business school. uh, He 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 asked, well, why would you want to do that? Because I don't think you're going to learn anything that you haven't already been exposed to. So I I kind of got talked out of it. And I also thought that. Yeah, you're right. At 34 years, I mean, I'm I'm a little too old for this. Everyone else is in their early 20s when they're doing that, and so I didn't do it. And then when I was 45, I thought, Why didn't 34? That was young. Yeah, I mean, I was young. I should have done that. I would have been out of that already. I would I would know the things that I that I wanted to learn, and and so I've always kept that in mind. And so even now, I'm 55 years old that. I know that when I'm 65, I'm going to look back and say, wow, 55, I mean, I could have done anything. I could go to law school right now. If I want, I could go to business school still, you know, I would just encourage people that if there's a passion or something that they are interested in to do it, uh, there's, there's no better time than now. And no matter how old you are, uh, if you don't do it, you're going to look back and wish you had, uh, because if it's that passionate, if you're that passionate about it, it's obviously something uh, that you would love to get involved with and and learn more about, be better at, and and your life would be more enriched.
1: Yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see end of your life. Yes, of course, cowboys and football is going to be a thing that people talk about, but your legacy still being written, and you've got obviously yeah. plenty of time left to have the eulogy, the video that plays at your funeral, whatever it ends up being, to be filled with things that haven't even happened yet. I get excited about that kind of stuff, even if it is hard to have to consider the promise of death. Uh, yeah, guess what? We got uh, agency over deciding how we want that video to actually be no built and, and made. You mentioned mentors. I'm curious if uh, there was a single or a couple of big pieces of advice that were meaningful to you in your journey, whether it was in or out of the uh, arena. What's, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever had from somebody that you had a mentor?
2: Well, I, I will tell you, I, I, uh, I was in the car business and then I got out of the car business. And then after I retired from the Cowboys, I decided to dive back in because my first go around had, had, had been a, a pretty enjoyable experience. And so I bought this dealership. It was a dealership that had been struggling and, uh, had longtime employees that had been there salesmen. And, and, uh, I was just trying to establish a culture and I wanted the salesman to where, uh, long dress shirts and ties. I thought that was important. Uh, and they were coming in wearing just about whatever they wanted to, and there was no real uniform. And I didn't think we looked very professional. And so I talked to this gentleman who, who is a mentor of mine and, and, uh, Carl Westcott here in Dallas, Texas, a Horatio Alger award winner. And some people may recognize the name, but I asked Carl, I said, you know, I told him what I was going through. And I said, I just trying to figure out the best way to approach it. I don't want to have a lot of rules. And so I just don't know, uh, there's a lot of turnover and a lot of change already with me coming in. And he told me, he says, you know, sometimes you don't have to say anything. He said, sometimes people just follow the leader. And I thought it was interesting. So th- I, I then started, every time I went into the dealership, I had a shirt and tie on. And sometimes it wasn't easy to do because I'd be coming from a workout and i but I'd rush home and shower and change real quick and make sure I threw on a shirt and tie. And I will tell you, Dave, that it took all of about four or five days of doing that. And I never said a word, never said what the dress code was. But from then on, the following week, uh, everybody was in shirt and ties, and nobody uh, said anything about it. And I thought, wow, what a what a great piece of advice that he gave me. And 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 to be able to watch that play out and prove itself was was really pretty remarkable. So I, I've always remembered that. Uh, And I still am putting it to practice to this day, especially now with the beer business kicking off and kind of the culture that we want to present.
1: Follow the leader. A thing that will always, always be a a truism that you can stand by. I had a book come out in October and I was writing it in the midst of COVID. uh, But one of the first lines that I wrote was this idea, uh, in the rush to return to normal, let's use this time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back to I'm Mm -hmm. curious, in your experience of this last crazy couple of years, as you've done any kind of inventorying of what normal was, as new normal now comes to be, is there anything that you're not allowing to come from pre-COVID, posts? you know, whenever we get through whatever we're going through, are there things that were important then that just don't hold up when you put it to that litmus of, is it still important now?
2: A little bit. It's funny. I was having this conversation last night with a with a buddy of mine, and I think what I've learned is, especially in my position, I, I was constantly being pulled to to do things for other people. I mean, constant. Can you attend this? Can you come and speak at this? Can you know? And and they're all great causes and great events. And I just, I think what I've learned from it is. I've learned to be able to have boundaries because a lot of those things were taken away. And I've realized that my time is, I've always known my time is valuable. And I've also always known, you know, you mentioned death, that's going to happen to all of us. I've always been mindful that my time here is limited. But I think it was a reminder that for me to set boundaries yeah. um and do the things that are important use your time wisely help those that you can but don't feel that you can do it, everything for everyone um so i think i've been better with having boundaries uh after coming out of covid and 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 that's been that's been good for me uh it's probably been something that's been needed uh but beyond that um uh, no i wouldn't say i think that you know covid as you know i don't need to tell you this and that I mean, it's uh, it's been catastrophic uh, for a lot of people around the world um, and a a lot of pain and tragedy and a lot of death. And then there's other parts of it. I always feel that there is a silver lining somewhere and there's things that can be taken from really tragic situations that can maybe make us all better. And I think that hopefully that that's what comes out of this, that we take a a harder look on. The things that are important, maybe relationships, being with people, interacting—you know—the things that got taken away from us. That you know, there's a lot of value in those things, and so we value the things that matter, and maybe uh, rid ourselves of the things that don't so much.
1: Yeah, uh, great book. Uh, a former guest of the show, author Greg McEwen, has this book called Essentialism. If you're looking for a, an easy, quick, but really important read of how you differentiate between, as he describes it, the vital few and the trivial many. Uh, It's a, it's a great resource. All right. Last, last question for you. I want to respect your time. Appreciate you so much being here. Every week we end our show by asking a similar question. And that is if you could leave listeners today with a single idea, a takeaway, something that you'd hope for them to contemplate that might afford them something in growth or peace. What is the single thing that you would leave our listeners with today?
2: Oh man. Um, you know, I think the the one that first popped in, into my mind was was just be kind. It seems like it's a simple thing, but it's a hard thing I think uh, for some people. But I think along the lines of what we what we discussed, Dave. I I think that you know we all have one chance at this thing that we call life, and whatever it is that moves you, or whatever it is that's important to you, and to just pursue it and be the best that you can be. And I, you know, not to not to plug the beer again, but but. The, the beer is designed, our target is the people who we call the early risers and the people who wake up each day with a passion and want to be their best and or be the best, whatever that is. And that's not to make everything a competition. Uh, but those are the people who I've always been drawn to uh, and have admired. And so what I would leave people is is to be an early riser, be someone who gets excited about life, who wakes up, who has a passion for being a better person, being a better husband, being a better father, uh, being a better, whatever, uh, eat healthier, you know, make today the day that you, uh, take the first step towards better health or read that book you've been putting off for so long. I mean, I just think that, um, we tend to we tend to spend more time now more than ever on our phones. And at the end of the day, we look back and we say, man, what did we really accomplish? And I would just, and maybe for some, you know, that's, that's their passion, you know, and that's what moves them. But uh, I think that we all have a lot to give and do, and I would just encourage people to go do that.
1: Yeah. I've talked about the answer to the question. How do I feel about myself when I'm by myself is answered in the most positive and affirming kind of way when I've lived in integrity being the person I need to be today to become the person I believe I'm meant to be when I'm out of alignment or in, you know, dissonance between who I could have shown up as because of wasting my time on my phone or not being kind. um, That's when I have, you know, that's when I don't feel great when I'm by myself. So I love that piece of advice. So good. If, uh, if people are interested in diving deeper into your world, want to get some more information about the beer and anything else, where do you send people uh, either social handles or websites, anything like yep. that?
2: Well, the website is eightbeer.com. That's written out, eightbeer.com. Our social media handle is at drink8beer. At drink8beer is Instagram and uh, and Twitter. And I believe I'm not a TikTok guy, but <laughs> I understand that we are. So it's on TikTok. is uh, at drink8beer as well. So excellent. There you have it.
1: Well, Troy, you are uh, even better uh, an interviewer than I could have been excited to hope for. And I was very excited and hopeful for this interview. So thank you. Hey, thank you for your time. I appreciate you, the work that you do. Good luck with everything, including this new endeavor for eight. And uh, I appreciate you for being here. Thank you so
2: much. Dave, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.
1: All right. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this episode and how could you have not, I encourage you, Grab your phone, take a picture of this episode, share it with people in your social community, tag myself, tag Troy. And between now and next week, I hope that you will endure it with kindness that you will uh, show up in integrity with the person that you can be so that you might become the person you were meant to become. We will see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller, with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product
2: of The Hollis Company.